Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Crew, where each week, Essence and I ask the other a burning question, playing to the other's strengths, and engage in some healthy debate and discussion. As always, we want to encourage you guys to become part of the conversation, so remember to email us at thecommonroomcouch at gmail.com if we misspeak, misquote, or misunderstand. Additionally, if you want to share a fun fact or expand on a topic, we'll also share that in future segments. Cue the music. Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm Maddie. I'm Essence. And this week we're going to be talking about TikTok and sex trafficking. Again, a strange title and strange combination of topics, but hopefully there'll be a little bit of something for everyone and you guys will all be able to learn or hear some different ideas. Oh, you'll definitely learn something, actually, because I know what I was going to talk about, and my mind was definitely blown the first time I heard it. Essence and I have done like four weekly wraps in the past 48 hours, so we've decided, (laughs) since we're filming some of these episodes back-to-back to to release multiple when we do our first release, we're going to mix it up a little bit in these first few, and we're just going to do a fun fact or maybe like a story or something. So my fun fact about myself will be my top three favorite movies are The Big Short, Guardians of the Galaxy, and it used to be Talladega Nights, but I'm not sure if it is anymore. I've That movie I accidentally saw when I was six years old, My like Elf had come out. And my, my whole family loved Elf. So when Will Ferrell came out with this new movie, my parents brought me, who was six, and my brother, who was three, to see <laughs> the PG-13 Talladega Nights. And I had no idea why things were funny, but it, I, I thought it was hilarious. And so for sentimental reasons, it's always been one of my like favorite movies. So what's the other one that's missing? You said three? Yeah, the big short, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, and Talladega Nights. I'm sorry. I just no, you're fine. I was you were like, what's the other? And I was like, um, I don't know. <laughs> Glad we're still on the same page. I can count. It's fine. She she's not an econ major. Um wow, my fun fact is so much less impressive than that one. Um, impressive? I don't think they thought out. Oh, that was on the spot. <laughs> um, yeah, so my mom is Sicilian, and I'm technically like a third generation immigrant. And I finally, this like quarantine cycle, I think I've mastered her dish, chicken piccata, which is my favorite food. Mm. Um, but I convinced her to let me make that for Christmas this year, and I think I finally made it correctly. And I'm very proud of that. How do you know you made it correctly? Did she just not say anything bad about it? Oh, I tasted it and I liked it. Oh, okay. (laughs) I was like, do you make it? And sometimes she's like, this is shit. No, it's never bad. It's just not like hers. No, yeah, exactly. I think that makes sense. So my question for this week to Essence 
is what is sex trafficking? (laughs) Sorry, I'm reading mine off the page for listeners, which is why I just laughed there. Because I wrote, is it like the movie Taken? I already know the answer to that question, but I included (laughs) it for you guys. What is sex trafficking? Is it like the movie Taken? What is sex work? And what misconceptions do we have about sex work slash workers? And my reasoning and thought behind asking this question. One, I know that Essence has done a lot of research and spent a lot of time looking at the legalities behind sex work. And prior to knowing her, I had seen the movie Taken and (laughs) my mom is a big um, like ID murder mystery person. Like I was told from a very young age to act like I know where I'm going so that I don't get stolen because the, the ones who look lost are the ones who get taken. <laughs> that was what I was told. Um, but so talking with essence was the first time I had actually had conversation with someone who knew what they were talking about beyond just like watching movies or prior assumptions. But I think it's really hard hearing it for the first time. Not to say that a situation like the movie Taken has never happened before, but I feel like the movie Taken has kind of become like the baseline of what you think sex trafficking is. Mm -hmm. And so I think it would be really helpful for our viewers to not just talk about like what sex trafficking actually is. um, But when, what is the difference between sex work and sex trafficking as well? Yeah. Uh, that's a really great way, I think, to set up the question, because I think if you don't truly understand what sex work is and or how people who are sex workers are in the industry, then it's really difficult to really understand what sex trafficking is. Um, and so, like, just for definitions, sex work is simply just, like, selling sexuality, sexual services, um, performances, and it's an expanded term from just prostitutes, which is a term that's often stigmatized because prostitution is illegal in most places in the United States. Um, And so it's really important to be careful with terminology because even though you may be saying prostitute and you believe in decriminalizing sex work, that word signals some type of stigma or some type of moral um, like wrongdoing in some way. And so Sex work includes all the things that you're probably thinking right now. Um, Prostitution, both indoor and outdoor, Um, like brothel work, like stripping. Um, I think with the pandemic, we're seeing a rise in camming and things like that. And there's often a lot of misnomers about sex workers and who belongs to that category. Mostly, I think, because of movies, but also I think we genuinely don't actually, we all probably know sex workers in some form but we don't acknowledge them in that way or we don't call them that. Um, and so I think some big things, if you're really interested in like getting rid of some of those misnomers is that people are doing it for like survival in some way, whether it be to pay rent or drugs or things like that. A lot of people engage in sex work for a variety of different reasons, just like they engage in any other profession for a variety of different reasons. Um, And usually when people are saying they're doing it for survival, there's some assumption that they're coerced into that job because they're like, there's no other way that they could succeed. Um, And I think another huge assumption is that street prostitution is like the number 
one type of sex work, but in reality, it accounts for such a small portion of sex work. Um, and when we get, we'll talk about this later in the session, but a lot of anti-sex trafficking laws are making it unsafe to do indoor prostitution and indoor sex work because of the ways that they're targeting sex trafficking. And I think why I'm starting out with this instead of starting at what is sex trafficking is because there's not actually a definition of sex trafficking that everyone can agree upon. And as the years continue, the definition just keeps expanding and expanding into larger and larger larger categories to basically discriminalize any type of sex work. Mm -hmm. And I think the main definition that people are talking about, uh, the United States releases this report every year to receive for countries to receive global funding. It's called the TIP report. And they basically define sex trafficking. It both begins or human trafficking, both starting and ending with sex trafficking. And it's saying that in some way it begins with some type of sexual act that's committed across borders. But then they have a bunch of addendums that say like, well, actually, like it doesn't actually have to be across borders or any type of travel has to be involved. It's really just any type of sex work. And a lot of definitions are extremely broad like that. And and because they've allowed these really vague definitions, it allows them to say that millions of people are being sex trafficked. And I first just want to point out that sex trafficking is not like the movie Taken at all. Um, there's both people who would call themselves sex trafficking survivors and sex workers who've been in the industry would say that sex trafficking does not happen that way. And the more correct term, which we'll get into later, is that people often engage in bad labor contracts. In some way, they voluntarily are engaging in sex work, and the person who they're working for, because sex work isn't legal, those contracts are often, well, not protected because it's an illegal act, and or the person that is running the business is a bad person. And because there's no legal protection for them, they often are put in bad situations, or not often, but they're put in bad situations. And that's often what gets defined as sex trafficking, when in reality, that's just a bad labor situation. And that should be how the situation is handled rather than stigmatizing sex work. So I guess I have two questions. The first, and you can decide whether you want this at the beginning or something, maybe at the end, but just so people listening know that you know what you're talking about. Do you maybe just want to touch on some of the work that you've done in the past? Yeah. Not that you have to be qualified to like know, <laughs> but I just think that might be helpful since this is a something that I think people hear and they're like, there's no way that's true mm-hmm. to know that you didn't just, you know, Google search for 30 minutes and come up with these answers. Which actually the opposite would be true. Like, but if you look up sex trafficking, it's so hard to find an, a correct article about it. It's like 27 million women are trapped <laughs> in sex trafficking or modern day slavery. And it's like, excuse me, ma'am. I clicked down at the bottom of your links and there are none. Thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, so I think, well, one, I initially got interested in sex work in high school with a ballot initiative to legalize it. And we'll talk about this later, but legalization offers a lot of industries as we're seeing. It's a way to remedy a lot of bad policy choices and to make a definitive statement that sex work is not morally bad and the people that engage in sex work are not doing an immoral act and that they deserve the same labor rights and human rights as anyone 
else that would be engaging in some type of work. And in college, weirdly, there was a class on this. <laughs> uh, and I continued that and eventually started working with that professor over the summer uh, on his book about global sex trafficking and the misnomers. And he does a lot of work on um, both sex work and and major global sporting events in which you see these large reports saying that the entire uh, Super Bowl stadium is filled with sex trafficking victims. And if, if someone made or a sex worker advocate makes a lot of jokes about that, because one, those are not true stories, but also because it's physically impossible for there to be that many sex trafficking victims without anyone knowing um, at a sp- sporting event. So he basically goes around the country to things like um, the World Cup, Super Bowls, um, the Olympics, and things like that, and looks at kind of the rise of both the policy response and the media response to these events and their relationship to different sex worker um, communities. And he sees like a lot of crackdown on sex worker communities, a lot of purging of where they live and where they work. Um, And then kind of the broader responses to that you can see in legislation, which we'll talk about later in the episode. Mm-hmm. My other question, and because when you were saying this, I mean, I know that I personally have listened to you speak about this before. I don't, I'm not saying I don't believe you because I do believe you. And that, like, you know what you're talking about. It's really hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that there aren't brothels of drugged women and kidnapped women. Not that like, that's never happened. You know what I mean? Is there... I guess, like, the larger thing I'm trying to get people to understand is that we're prosecuting sex workers. And in many of these... Uh, so I was going to bring up an example um, with the Robert Kraft story. Because I think it's it just happened, and also most people know about it. And I think that's a really great example. Because the first headlines that came out said that, like, they found this ring of sex trafficking victims that were being basically sexually exploited by Robert Kraft. Then come to find out, like, when people actually did research and they started realizing that this was a huge sting operation in which they were following sex workers, like, when they were buying condoms and things, Mm. uh, it was this huge operation of just voluntary sex workers working in a brothel, but some of them happened to be international. And, like, that was considered sex trafficking. Okay. And many countries, including the United States, are using these trafficking laws under these veiled ideas of we're helping women or we're trying to stop sexual exploitation. And they're using these long or these outdated arguments and descriptions of what sex trafficking is to kind of promote these policies. Um, And so I think the tip report is also a good example of this. So FET or global funding from the United States to different countries around the world is tied to their ability to stop sex trafficking. So you see a rise in brothel raids, which is voluntary sex work, to check a box for the United States so they can receive funding for that. So when we think of like the taken scenario, and I just say that because I feel like it's such an iconic scene, like it's quoted all the time. And I feel like when people think of sex trafficking, that is what they're picturing. Yeah. Is it just misnomered all the time as it's when, because we hear sex trafficking and so we think of that and that's what kind of perpetuates that idea Does that make sense, my question? Yeah, it's a historical legacy, actually. So I think Taken is a great example of why we think of sex trafficking that way. It's a privileged white woman that is taken by like this thug gang, 
right? And that's how it's always portrayed. And it's been portrayed that way since the 1800s under the White Slavery Act, which was meant to basically, it was a xenophobic law meant to stop immigration. And it was then reframed as the White Slavery Act as a way to protect white women from being somehow sexually exploited by foreign men. And it's a historical legacy from the 1800s that we use this like race play to kind of, or the, sorry, race play is a bad word, using white femininity as a way, like wielding white femininity as a way to create policy against whatever political agenda we want to pass. So right now, um, a lot of countries that are purportedly trying to help sex trafficking victims, they deport them. And that's a policy response to not to they want to deport people anyways especially oh. people that don't have means yeah. so they're finding a way to make that legitimate so they say okay we'll label you as a sex trafficking victim and deport you back home to your home country and that's our way of responding to sex trafficking and so it's wielded at every decade or every politician that is a staunch supporter of these laws has it maybe perhaps a different agenda than the one that they're saying so I think the modern day example, or the most recent, is FOSTA SESTA. Um, and the could you spell that? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so the House passed the bill FOSTA F O S T A, and okay. that was the Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act. And then there's a Senate um, counterpart uh, SESTA, which is Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act. And I think that people may actually know about this law because it's been in the news basically, since it was pa- or started to be talked about a couple years ago. And essentially, that act was going after, um, I should name this website, Backpage. It was going against Backpage because that was a place that sex workers advertised their services. And which sounds maybe like, oh, wow, maybe we should, if you don't think sex work should be a thing or you think it should be criminalized, it would make sense that you would go against something like Backpage because it's basically how people are, increasing their sales for sex work. Um, same, or so it's similar to like Craigslist and that being used as a uh, place for advertisements. And essentially that act goes and tries to take those um, pages like Backpage down as a way to stop sex trafficking. And there was a few cases of sex trafficking that were reported on the website. And so a huge argument was stirred up and they eventually passed the act in both houses which sounds great like wow we have stopped sex trafficking and we're stopping websites that are trafficking in sex trafficking and then come to find out that sex workers need places like backpage craigslist social media to successfully advertise and screen out dangerous clients Mm. and so now we're seeing with the passage of FOSTA SESTA, we're seeing an increase in people that are forced to do prostitution outside which is way more dangerous in their prostitution. Um, they don't have access to their online communities, which is extremely important for marginalized groups to have access to other people. So they could say like, hey, I had this client and he was violent. Do not, if you get a message from him, don't meet with him. Mm-hmm. And it's sex worker communities are 100% reliant on both having a community, having access to screening mechanisms like Backpage and social media, etc. So this law which was meant to stop sex trafficking. And maybe some people supported the bill because of that. Sure. But it's also just another way to stop 
sex work. And that was why people supported this bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and the bill itself even conflates sex work and sex trafficking. Do you have any statistics that may be really helpful on like what percentage of sex trafficking, quote, in the ter- in the taken terms is actually what's going on? I'm just wondering because like this is great for me if I don't need to be worried about like being kidnapped and drugged. No, you actually don't. Like I want to stress that 100% that people who are often in sex trafficking scenarios are those who are voluntarily engaged in sex work already. There are very few instances where people who are not wanting to engage in any form of sex work are then like grabbed or taken and then forced to go into sex work. So when you, so, oh, I guess like maybe this is a really important thing to differentiate. When you're watching, again, my mom watches a lot of like, what's it called? Unsolved murders, like blah, 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 where you're specifically looking at a single case and someone is kidnapped and then raped that's not that's just them being like sexually assaulted that's not sex trafficking so it's the difference between being sold into much more of like a brothel type situation that we call sex trafficking and women just being feared (laughs) like sexual violence and activists would say that if you legalize prostitution people are much better able to create community and realize that there are situations like this happening. So like, if you feel comfortable enough to go to the police, you're going to go to the police Mm. or you're more likely to go to the police. But because sex work is illegal in most places or in America, then people aren't, and there's not a great relationship with police already. They're not going to report crimes like this in the first place. And these laws that just keep criminalizing sex work and anyone that comes forward of course they're going to go to the police when something bad like this happens. And because it's not seen as a legitimate form of labor, it's also not, these contracts don't have any weight to them in some of the times. So I guess maybe something that would be really interesting to discuss then, and I'm sorry if this pulls you off topic or you're intended. This is good. I think this is good. Yeah. I mean, I really think this is really interesting and I think it's finally, I'm finally understanding what you mean when you're saying taken scenarios don't happen. So what, an example of a country or a city, I mean, Amsterdam obviously has the red light district, but maybe somewhere you're more familiar with, what does legal sex work look there? And how does making sex work legal trickle out? Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? How does that end up affecting everything coming out of that? Yeah. So I think a great example is New Zealand, who technically calls their system decriminalization, but it's a lot more like legalization, which are very similar, except that decriminalization just means that this act is no longer illegal. Legalization means that the state usually has a lot, a huge role inside of regulating sex work. Um, But both forms really, in New Zealand, they both recognize that sex work is an actual labor act and because it's labor there are certain rules that must be protected by both sellers and buyers of that work and uh an example yeah so my example was new zealand and i think after a long i think i know after a long movement from sex workers to legalize the act they are now able to own and operate their own brothels without pimp or manager type figures Mm -hmm. which are usually people who are associated with sex trafficking not usually but they can be associated with sex trafficking type I mean, stereotypes I feel like that's what people Violence. think of when they think of a like 
sex worker in like dangerous situation, Mm -hmm. especially in like movies or TV shows that end up having it. That's like a classic. I feel like not just the stereotype, what it, I feel like it's inflated, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Like it's very much utilized in pop culture as not just as someone who's like a manager, but it often becomes violent or aggressive in some capacity. Yeah. And even when those situations are happening in most legalized settings, first of all, sex workers are more able to operate their own businesses and there's no need for managers or pimps or anything like that because if there's ever violence in their establishment, they're able to go to the police and they feel comfortable going to the police. Um, where that situation would not be able to happen in America. One, because police are seen as almost hostile in many of these situations, not just because of brothel raids, but because they've often been known to extort sex workers um, for different sexual acts to get out of like jail time or threaten to arrest them, etc. Um, and there's just a much worse relationship because it is criminalized. Um, and other great things about the New Zealand system, just from the cultural change that kind of comes with legalizing sex work, is um, there's often more access just for workers in general to healthcare programs and there right, there's more socialized programs. But there's just in general, it's an occupation where if you get unemployed or something, there's some maybe benefit that could come with it. There's more access to healthcare. There's a stigma surrounding it. So people feel comfortable um, going to different services. So how, again, if you want me to you have something else you want to talk about. I guess something that you mentioned, it couldn't happen in the U.S. and made your mention of FOSTA and SESTA. How does something like OnlyFans exist in the U.S.? Yeah, so one, OnlyFans, well, pornography is legal in the United States. So even if there was another person on camera, it's still just pornography and you're selling a video. Okay, so that's, but I feel like, Based on what we think sex trafficking is, we would think that OnlyFans could definitely be a way. I don't know. I thought that was kind of what they were talking about. But I guess that's more websites as opposed to like... And it's advertisements. So mm-hmm. there's also a long long story, uh, a long history of different advertisements on social media being taken down. Um, and this has actually come up in the news again with Rule 230. And it's come up again because of the way that advertising sex work is criminalized under FOSTA-SESTA. Um, and it's like Rule 230. And it's come up again because the legislators haven't been able to um, like stop sex work or different forms of sex work. So they're going after the websites that do host it because it's so much easier. Um, okay. And so you've seen like Google, like there's been reports of Google taking down sex work advertisements which i didn't even know they could go on people's google drive um what else like different um social media like you may have actually seen this before like on twitter um there's in instagram there's reports of people's advertisements just disappearing and being or their accounts being um like reported and things like that because they are advertising sex work so i think that's where we get more into only fans being not illegal but somehow affected by these laws To bring everything we've kind of discussed so far to a close, kind of summarize everything, I think two things that would be really nice would be, A, what's a better term for what we've been talking about then, since there seems to be a lot of confusion and pervasiveness in pop culture with what we've referred to as sex trafficking? And then what's Essence's hope? 
or note of hope, I guess. <laughs> What's your um, hope? I mean, I, I both, I guess, answers to those questions or the hope part. Um, but I think one, there isn't a better term because the major point that, or the major takeaway that I want for people to have with this episode is that sex work takes on so many, sex work takes on so many forms and people's experiences because of the way it's criminalized in different states, um, different communities people exist in, that work looks so different person to person and the types of exploitation that may take place also are very different. So in the historical- Is exploitation a better word? I mean, yes, but what exploitation are we talking about? Is it sexual exploitation? Is it labor exploitation? Mm. And I think maybe those distinctions are more helpful because trafficking, one assumes like there's a border and that there's maybe coercion, maybe there's sex work involved. Honestly, who knows? Because everyone just makes their own definition up. Um, So I think one, the historical legacy of the definition is too tarnished at this point to use. Mm. And secondly, I think it, also is important to throw out the word because these experiences are not uniform. They're not all taken experiences and they're also not all 100% sexual empowerment situations. There's such Mm -hmm. a huge spectrum of what this looks like. And because we continue to legalize it and marginalize those who participate in sex work, we won't know those stories. People don't feel comfortable telling those stories or going to the police. Um, And it's because of the hard work of a lot of sex worker advocates that we know one of these terms are outdated that these laws are bad and they try to testify in front of congress and say like these laws do not work and they actively harm our communities so Mm -hmm. i think the hope going forward is that one marginalized communities have a lot to offer about their experiences and just because they're not policy writers or they're not involved in capitol hill for example does not mean that they don't know their own experience And I think often people in marginalized communities, whether that be sex workers or people of color, um, people that are on the queer spectrum, et cetera, have found survival mechanisms to exist in the world in some way. And I think those survival mechanisms can offer a lot of great policy ideas. They've been talking about decriminalization forever. They've been talking about police abolition forever. And I think it's kind of time to start listening to those. And we've kind of seen that this summer with Black Lives Matter and Defund the Police, which are all very interconnected into the sex worker movement. And not only listen to their experiences, but also listen to the policy suggestions that they're saying. So supporting mutual aid programs, harm reduction, and maybe most radically support decriminalization, or at least a little bit, a little bit more about it. Okay, so on a very different note my question for you this week is tiktok a great new social media or the bane of our existence and i purposely worded it this way because i'm exposing how i truly feel about tiktok (laughs) it's interesting um and i'm gonna be simultaneously i agree with both both sides i think it's great and i think it's the bane of our existence (laughs) to be fair i feel like i must disclose I don't own the app TikTok. I refuse to own it. I watch a lot of TikTok compilations on YouTube, though. So, or also, and I'm going to get to this in the future, a lot of people who are on Instagram will include their TikToks that they've made on their Instagram feed. So I've also seen TikToks through that, people who I specifically follow, and TikTok has like a Reels feature where it's mostly just other people's TikToks. So... 
I guess something I want to start with is kind of why I think it's popular and what allowed it to become popular. So anyone here who's listening that's a little bit younger than 35 and older than like 14 will probably first remember Vine, which was really, I feel like at the height of its popularity around my sophomore, junior year of high school. So like 2014 to 2015-ish. And Vine eventually was bought by Twitter, who like stopped it for some reason, which really makes no sense because Vine was very popular. No one really understood why they decided to stop it. Um, But Vine and TikTok are similar in a lot of ways and really different. A big difference is a Vine was only seven seconds long. So you had to have a very specific type of humor or like dance or singing that you were going to do with only seven seconds. Um, TikToks are about, I think, a minute from what I can understand being the X. So there's a lot more time if you're doing like comedy skits, if you're doing a dance, if you're singing. And a lot of times they're used for like educational purposes as well. So Obviously, it's hard to educate someone in seven seconds. Um, So just so people know, something – it's not like TikTok was new. Vine was already successful. And Vine is still something that if you go on YouTube and you look up, like, best Vines ever, there are hundreds and hundreds of compilations of Vines. People still watch them on YouTube. So there was already a market for it after it was gone. Then in 2014, there was another app called Musical.ly. And Musical.ly was specifically more so dancing. And the big trend was like lip syncing songs. But people would do like cool transitions. I'm saying cool in quotes because I didn't like (laughs) Musical.ly. But like that's what the like appeal of it was. People would do these weird phone flips and sing songs that they weren't really singing. And some people also did dances and like gymnastics tricks. I remember I downloaded it for like a second. But so in 2017, a company called ByteDance acquires Musical.ly for $800 million, and they consolidate what was TikTok and Musical.ly at the time. So now you're already bringing an audience from Musical.ly mm-hmm. and TikTok into this app. And then I'm sure people have seen the intense form of um, social media, commercials, everything they were doing to advertise for this new app, and it's being dropped. So that kind of lets you know it wasn't like TikTok just like appeared one day and all of a sudden it was popular. There was precedent for it. And then there was already multiple communities that enjoyed that sort of app. So something I think also makes TikTok really popular is the app's central focus is kind of music and audio. Whether, I mean, people will come up with their own stuff, sometimes skits, especially comedians, but you can voiceover like a spongebob line or something if you wanted to with a friend but because new music is constantly coming out there's always new song to dance to there's always new dance challenge there's always a new like sometimes people just have songs going on with like some other random challenge that they're doing there's always new content that's able to be created and for people to hop on to so additionally it's really accessible to a lot of individuals it has a lot of content, which I've kind of talked about compared to those prior apps because the videos are longer, especially there have been a lot of trends recently towards educational, business-oriented TikToks being made. Um, And another thing is how 
a lot of small businesses or individuals who are influencers are using TikTok to grow their platforms. And I've actually watched some YouTubers talk about this, how prior to TikTok, they had been on YouTube for five years, maybe had 100,000 subscribers, were on TikTok for a week and had 100,000 subscribers. Like it's so easy to blow up. And so you will see a lot of like, there's this guy who I think is really funny who not remixing songs isn't the right word, parodies songs, but he owns, owns like a chiropractic, chiropractic, chiro, he's a chiropractor. <laughs> I don't know what kind of, how you say that as a business actually. Um, my dad's a doctor. We looked down on chiropractor. <laughs> no, I'm just joking, <laughs> but kind of, <laughs> they're not considered real doctors, but alas, anyway, we can exclude that. I just thought it was funny to say. Um, so he like parodies songs and he'll be like, upper back pain and like show you how to fix it like from your home and that's a way like he's used tiktok to like get the name of his business out there which i think is really cool and that's kind of why some of the reasons why i think it can be a great new social media like there's so many uses for it it is kind of different inherently from say a twitter a youtube a facebook an instagram because of that like one minute video being its sole focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just downloaded, I'm not sure if you have any questions. I downloaded a couple of facts just about like who's downloaded. I researched. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm talking about TikTok and I'm like, I'm downloading things. <laughs> I have some stats that I found um, based on when this article I found was published. It was talking about how in late 2019, there was an estimate that during the year 2020, TikTok would reach over a billion users. Um, I'm not sure if that's true. They didn't post like a follow-up, but I know it was already at 800 million when they were posting it. So So do you think that's primarily because this is a global app in comparison to like Facebook or Snapchat where it's US and then grew out from there? Yes, I think so. Most users, I think 25% of users on the app are from India. Um, then China has the next highest, then the U.S. And I think because of that, it has such a like a large global influence. And I think because so many influencers utilize it, if you're someone who found a YouTuber you like, but you live in Russia, you might have downloaded TikTok to get more of their content. Mm-hmm. And so I think because so many social media stars across so many platforms all started using TikTok, it really brought so many people to the app from all over the world. Mm -hmm. And something else I find really interesting about that is actually the age of people who are using that. So teenagers account for, and this is again in, you know, late 2019 when this article is being written. So I'm not sure what the stats are right now, but 32% of active users were teenagers 50% of users were under 24 and 26% were between 18 and 24. So it's very much skewed towards young people. Yes. And I think, I mean, it says the average user spends between like 52 minutes per day on the app. I'm not sure how they're including that. I think that number is way lower. Really? Like you think that it's more minutes or less minutes? More. More minutes. I think more people are spending, I mean, I think something that's so interesting as I was reading how TikTok kind of like sucks you in is 
you don't even have to sign up for the app when you first download it, apparently. Like, again, I haven't downloaded the app, so maybe this article is, like, misleading that I read, and I'll attach it in there. But as soon as you open the app, a video starts playing, and Mm -hmm. you just scroll down to the next one. You scroll down to the next one. And so it's so easy to get sucked in to just watching videos, especially because the way the algorithm works, kind of like we're going to talk about in our next episode, it's curating a feed to what you like. So if you like watching people do cool dance videos, it's going to curate a feed to exactly what you want to see. And so I think, I mean, I have friends who have said they've sat down on TikTok and just wanted to see what the app was about. And three hours later, they're still on it. Like it's very much made to hold your attention and gain you, like gain your interest. So scary. (laughs) Yeah. And I think um, something I know is always the case with social media apps is like, Younger kids want one. Like, I remember when I was in sixth, seventh grade, people was like, that's when Facebook was kind of popular. And I wasn't technically old enough to have a Facebook, but like, I begged and begged my mom. All my friends had Facebooks, and like, you know, we were 12, but they said they were 14 because you had to be 13 <laughs> or whatever. And there is such, and I think that's probably why this number is a little bit skewed a large number of younger kids that have TikToks because that's what everyone does. They like make TikTok dance videos. This is like embarrassing to admit. So like through YouTube and like, first of all, these TikTok stars were kind of like thrust into the spotlight. I think especially with 2020 and like not having as much to do, people just downloaded TikTok. Mm-hmm. And drama became such like a part of the app. They're <laughs> all friends with each other. Like, I mean, a lot of the most followed people. They're all friends with each other. They all live in LA. These things called content houses started popping up. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about at all. So like, for example, a content house called the Hype House started where they basically, because individually they were making enough money, they could buy these giant or rent these giant houses in LA, like mansions almost, and like 20 of them could live in this house. And because you're living with other people who do TikTok for a living, all day you have people to just make more TikToks with. And so these content houses started popping up. I mean, they're all over the world now. Like they're in multiple ones in Europe. There are multiple ones in LA. Um, There are smaller ones. Like I know most of the ones that are like, because of who like I know from the app, most of like the dance ones, right? But there are comedy TikTok houses that are much smaller for like the older. Um, there, I think they're like the main ones com- like comprised of four 30, 30 year olds or something like that. And so we've seen like a lot of people know what's getting their, what's getting the algorithm and like what's getting attention from followers. And that's not necessarily posting the best content you can once a week, but posting maybe like three to five TikToks a day with other famous people on the app, famous people on the app. I should clarify. It seems like there are so many people participating in the app for a variety of different reasons. And do you think like that's what makes this better than other social media platforms? Do you think that's what makes it worse? Like thoughts on that? I think I think it depends what you like, but I think something that's really interesting is because it's video, it's a little bit more dynamic than, say, Instagram. I mean, I personally don't really use Twitter, and I don't really use Facebook anymore. I use YouTube for people who I've followed mostly for a long time. Um, mostly I use Instagram and Snapchat 
And I think it's interesting because like Facebook is really one of the things I saw was actually saying part of the reason TikTok became so so you became used by so many was because people were tired of like the Facebook sort of format. And I think because TikTok has more been traditionally like geared towards kids, the in in the main content creators, most of the people who are the most followed people on TikTok are 16-year-old Charlie D'Amelio, like 20-year-old Addison Ray, a lot of people in that age group. And so it's a lot more it's a lot more toned down, I think. That's not like as formal as say someone might be on Instagram. And I think, you know, most of the time the people who are the most famous are posting like dance videos. Those are by far the most popular. What I do think is really interesting is it doesn't seem like their followers are necessarily satisfied by them only posting dance videos, meaning, and I know we're going to talk about this in the next episode, when Black Lives Matter, the movement was starting, it was very much expected of TikTok influencers to be vocal about what was happening. And they were very much like, they're very much held accountable by their audiences. If they were going out during COVID, they were getting called out. If they were throwing a party, they were called out. Whether or not they were like permanently canceled is a different story, but their audience were not sitting back and just like praising them. Maybe it's just because so many more people are Instagram influencers, like traditionally. It's because the app's been around longer. I don't know everybody on it. I don't know everybody who's criticizing everyone. But for example, I think something that's really... It's in my list of like why this could be the bane of our existence and why this is dangerous or bad. The TikTok drama, I mean, I myself get sucked in. I don't know these people. These are like 16-year-olds to 20-year-olds who are having drama with each other. There's an Instagram account called TikTok Room where they go through the comments, they find things the creators responded to, they find out drama that people have DM'd them, and they post daily about all the drama going out between all these friends, and people live for it. So for example... There was some drama because some of the really big influencers went to the Bahamas for the new year. And some of these people were people that earlier in COVID were, you know, telling, talking to their audience, whether it was on Instagram Live, like, stay home, stay safe, wear a mask, blah, blah. And so people were very upset in TikTok room <laughs> that <laughs> they were going to the Bahamas and traveling. And yeah. Fights were starting within the comments of TikTok room because the TikTok people, followers, not followers, the TikTok stars, influencers follow TikTok room too. It's not like it's just this random account that's like posting about them. The account itself, I want to see actually how many people. Yeah, 2 million people follow TikTok shade room. And it just will post, you know, tweets that other people responded to. Asher responds to a comment, eyes, like... Commented by Divinity Perkins eyes. Like and and then you know they each one has a thousand, two thousand comments of people commenting on the one post about shade. And I think that's one reason that the app can be also very dangerous. A lot of TikTokers have come out and said, especially the ones who are really young, can you imagine being a 16-year-old who has gained a hundred million followers on TikTok for doing dances 
and people are holding you accountable for like social justice and like wearing a mask like me as a 16 year old would have been a dummy you know I mean I, I would have taken it seriously but that doesn't mean I wouldn't have made mistakes mm-hmm. yet this girl just randomly got this huge platform through dancing and is expected to be an expert on stuff like that mm-hmm. and I think I mean obviously I don't have kids and I don't even have the app but I can only imagine as a parent to teenagers and younger you know I think you have to be 12 to get the app but obviously I talked about earlier how kids younger definitely lie about their age to get it earlier when you say you think it's the bane of like I mean I know you kind of you know hinted how you feel (laughs) what were you kind of expecting like what do you think of TikTok so my siblings of course all have TikTok and (laughs) and I just see how much time people waste on the app which just, like, triggers in me something, like, imagine what you were doing if you, like, could reclaim two hours of your life again. And I know it's a very much a judgment that the content that they're looking at isn't valuable. And maybe no, it's valuable. I th- but- no, no, no. I, I think you're right in some ways. I think it's just going to depend on, like, I mean, what's the difference between watching two hours of TV and watching two hours of TikTok at the end of the day? You know what I mean? Like, No, I very much would agree that's bad too no yeah I just mean like (laughs) some people like I like to relax by watching tv I can watch hours and hours of tv so like is it different if I'm watching tiktok instead I mean the only reason I like judge myself for watching tiktok is because I know like Charlie D'Amelio and Chase Hudson they were dating now they broke up Mm -hmm. Chase Hudson kissed Nessa Barrett it blew up July 6th (laughs) it's just like (laughs) random things I know from because people are so obsessed with their lives and I feel bad for them their children in most cases like mm-hmm. that have to know that if they make a mistake a hundred million people or 20 million people even are seeing those mistakes play mm-hmm. out and and actively commenting and judging them for them there's a lot of like standing which i don't know who our listeners are if you know what standing is standing is basically just like support something so wholeheartedly like mm-hmm. it's all like i mean there are fan accounts for the relationships between tiktokers where all they do is watch their live feeds, watch their posts, watch YouTube videos, watch other people who they're friends with post pictures of them and repost content of these two people in a relationship. And then when they break up, if one of them starts dating someone else, the like stands of that relationship will attack the new like romantic interest, someone who they've never met because it's not that they're dating the other person anymore. I mean, it just, <laughs> it's really overwhelming to have to understand like what I feel bad (laughs) that and I think the thing that bothers me the most is if you complain like especially those content houses I was telling you about most of them have had to move multiple times because people will figure out where they live from their videos and come just stand outside their houses and scream and take pictures if they walk by windows if they're outside if they come outside to like get food there are videos of them just being like hoarded for autographs to try and get a Postmates delivery. Wow. They're like small children celebrities. <laughs> and so it's kind of nuts to me how, how a dancing <laughs> app turned into this. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Makes a lot of sense. I'm saying dancing app, but I think one of the things that is really great about it is the fact that there are therapists on there that have really fun skits about like mental health and like how to take better care of yourself. And Oh, one of my, some of my favorite ones are like the life hacks. 
They're mm-hmm. so funny. Anyway, yeah, I think this is isn't definitely going to be one of our like longest segments, but I think you know, it was almost banned, which like we can say is for different reasons. Maybe it's because the K-pop, the K-pop TikTok community banded together to make it seem like million of uh, millions of people are going to Donald Trump's rally when really only 6,000 were. <laughs> Perhaps that's why TikTok was going to be banned. Maybe it's because people think that the brand, or not the brand, the company um, ByteDance, a Chinese company, is giving our information to the Chinese government doesn't wouldn't surprise me i've heard stories or like seen things i don't know i can only trust so much when it's like something along this where it definitely feels politicized Mm -hmm. that you know if you download the app you've basically given them access to everything that's ever been on your phone your location it's been debunked what it's been debunked i think so okay that would be good i would feel better about downloading it (laughs) but but you know that was what was being claimed why um Donald Trump wanted to ban it. He thought, A, the user data was going to be a national security threat. He also thought that, um, but I mean, even when Microsoft was going to like buy it, it didn't really make sense. So essentially, we just know that there is some security threat, whether that's individually to your family with like children and bullying, it kind of being um, a really hard space to control when it comes to kids ages i mean i think are you gonna download tiktok no me either (laughs) (laughs) i'll continue watching my tiktok compilations on youtube thank you well that's all for this episode you guys we hope you enjoyed and learned something new i know i definitely had my own breakthroughs So keep your eyes open for our next episode, which is going to be called Black Lives Matter and Social Media Activism. Again, if you'd like to support us in our podcast, you can check out the description below. In addition to that, we'll have our resources that we used for research for this week's topics. And also we'll include any additional resources that you guys might like in case you are interested. If you'd like, you can always email us at thecommonroomcouch at gmail.com with your ideas and thoughts. And if you really enjoyed one of our topics, you can always let us know that you like maybe some extended information or an additional video that we will release on our Patreon. Bye!